Welcome to the first guest episode of the Health Uncovered podcast, where we will be talking with Dr. Cameron all about concussion and traumatic brain injuries. Dr. Cameron is based out of San Diego. He has practiced chiropractic neurology for over 12 years, and his clinic specializes in working with spinal injuries, concussions, and dizziness. Concurrent with his chiropractic coursework, were additional studies in functional neurology with the Carrick Institute and functional medicine with various nutritional firms. Dr. Cameron firmly believes that education is a never-ending process, particularly with healthcare, and his ongoing studies are motivated by his sincere desire to provide the greatest benefit to his patients. I am so excited to dive into today's episode because Dr. Cameron is a local provider that I personally refer a lot of my patients to, and he's helped so many people on their concussion journeys, including my husband who suffered two concussions last year. So in today's episode, the key takeaways are going to be what is the traditional Western medicine protocol for concussion? What is the functional neurology protocol for concussion? What steps should someone take right after getting a concussion? And we're going to be talking about post-concussion syndrome and how it may be affecting you years later. So without further ado, my friends, let's dive in. Welcome to the Health Uncovered podcast, your go-to podcast for all things health, healing, and what to do next on your health journey. I'm your host, Mercedes Cook, a doctor of chiropractic and a diplomate in chiropractic cranial cervical junction procedures. Each week, my guests and I will be uncovering treatment options and health tips to help you get to the root cause of your health issues. If you're tired of seeing doctor after doctor with no answers, then the show is for you. You'll learn all kinds of healthcare options that you may have not known existed that will help you move forward on your healing journey more confident than ever. I invite you to stay open and curious. All right, let's get into today's episode. Hey there, and welcome to the first guest episode of the Health Uncovered podcast, where we will be talking with Dr. Cameron today all about concussion and traumatic brain injuries. I'm really excited to dive into today's episode because Dr. Cameron is a local provider that I personally refer a lot of my patients to, and he's helped so many people on their concussion journey, including my husband. And so I'm so excited for you guys to learn from him today. So We're going to jump right in and ask Dr. Cameron, can you tell us what exactly functional neurology, like the practice and the treatment, like what it is and why you started practicing that way? First off, thanks for having me. Of course. And a little bit about functional neurology. So it's more of a holistic approach towards neurorehabilitation and also the assessment process. So We still utilize a lot of the same testing that a neurologist would use, like their bedside exam, some diagnostic tests, as well as other stuff that's been taken from other professions or specialties like neurooptometry, vestibular therapy, PTs that have this evaluation for your brain and your nervous system function. So we take all of that and then we try to see what areas are not running at optimal. So we're not looking at things from a black and white stance like a neurologist would where they're just saying, this is pathology and this is healthy. We're trying to see where things are in that gray area to see what's not running at optimum. And then from there, 
when we find the patterns, we come up with a tailored treatment program for those regions to try and optimize function in those tissues. And with that, when we optimize those tissues, we typically see that translate into how someone's functioning and their symptoms that they've been experiencing potentially. And when you were going to school and becoming a chiropractor, when did this sort of idea of going into functional neurology, what made you gravitate towards that? It was a combination of stuff, that, of things that happened. First thing that sticks out was the fact that I was actually trying to get into a sports certification right off the bat when I went to school. So like first quarter, I was like, I need to get learn more about this because I want to work with that. And then I come to find out that I'm not able to get into that until I'm done with school. So you're familiar with the diplomate programs and whatnot. Yeah. As you have your own certification. Some of them allow you to start off right off the bat. And then some require you to do it once you're done with your core doctorate. So I couldn't do the sports one. So I had some other classmates that had gone to this neurology program their first month and were mentioning how amazing it is. So that was the first thing that kind of triggered me. I was like, okay, I'm going to go check this out. And then in conjunction with that, I actually had a a spinal anatomy course that was taught by somebody named Dr. Lynn Carlson, who's a good mentor of mine. She was showing some videos on a little bit about functional neurology and what the treatment looks like, the assessment looks like. And basically, after I saw that, I was like, well, I got to learn more about this. There's no way I'm going to practice any other way. That's like, I can't unsee what I just saw. It was like such amazing and profound shifts that were happening in patients. Uh, I was like, this is way too cool. I've got to see this. I love that. So that's what got me into functional neurology. Today, I really want us to focus on people who have gotten a concussion before, or maybe have gotten one years ago. I really want them to kind of understand what the traditional protocols are. So for instance, with traditional Western medicine, you get a concussion. Can you tell us when you go to the doctor, What are they going to look for? What are they going to test for? What is that experience going to be like just seeing your traditional MD? Honestly, I don't like bashing other professions or anything like that, but I don't want to sugarcoat this at at all either. It's pretty lackluster. I actually think it's pathetic in a way, (laughs) to be honest. So basically, the way it's diagnosed right now is just based off history. There's most cases, I'd say, probably well over 90% of cases that go see their medical doctor never have any examination process performed. They're just listening to them and then tell them, hey, you probably concussed yourself. And then from there, the treatment recommendations are even sadder. So it's most cases go home and rest. And then if you need some medication to manage your mood or your pain, we can put you on stuff for that. There's no real good recommendations being given out on what patients can do or and there's no real awareness of what stuff exists out there for them because there's a variety of different treatments that do exist or rehab and and therapies. Is it not common? Maybe it's even worse than I thought it was, but is it not common for when you do get a concussion to go in and for them to do any kind of imaging or unless it was really severe, they're just going to say, you know, go home and rest or like when would they take imaging of the head? I hate to tell you, but it's the only one they think that it was potentially life-threatening. So I would say if there's like an open wound, they're more inclined to do something. But I've even had patients that tell me that they went in and there's an open wound, they're bleeding down their head, and they didn't have imaging performed. And we're talking about at like scripts. Like that's crazy. The better physicians will 
you know, recommend that it gets performed so that you want to rule out anything that's life-threatening, any bleeds. But even with imaging, that being said, it just because you do the imaging doesn't necessarily mean that you didn't have brain injury or concussion. They can rule stuff in, but they can't rule things out outside of like how severe it is potentially. In your dream world, everyone who does sustain a concussion, what does the best protocol look like? I feel like I have a good idea, but I'd love for you to walk people through what are the options when this does happen to them? What are things that they should be looking for? And especially with what you do in your clinic, like how do you take care of your patients that suffer concussions when they come to you? What do you guys do? Now, taking my own thought process aside, when you just look at the cumulative research that's been done in this area, all the neuroscience is pointing towards the more you test, the better. Because no one brain injury or concussion is the same as the next. There are odds that they can have similarities or overlapping features on the injury, but the brain is so complex and it's in charge of so many functions in your body and it interacts with so many different systems that you need to look at it from a stance of like first have kind of a foundational idea that you've got all these different functions and depending on what part gets injured is what goes down, what you start seeing change. And if you're only looking at certain compartments or measuring certain areas, then you might be missing like a whole host of different issues that or injuries that could exist in the brain. So going back, like once you've evaluated thoroughly, and that's in my ideal world, somebody's doing comprehensive testing to test each and every area that they can possible to get insight as to where the dysfunction's happening or where the likely injury have occurred. And then from there, you you tailor the tri- the correct rehab for those regions. In tandem with that, you need to be looking into orthopedic testing too. Could this be coming from the neck? Is the neck actually manifesting things like that are concussion-like symptoms? Because you can have very similar overlapping features, but they can just be coming from the neck and not specifically from injuring the brain itself. So there's other things like chemistry that plays a role in this comorbidities did you already have pre-existing issues with anxiety or did you already have a history of migraines or whatever those are because if you have a history of certain symptomology prior to it's likely that some of that stuff could get worse be augmented from this and then going back to again the chemistry aspects there's a whole shift that happens with this as well where your hormones are going to fluctuate all over the place. They're still trying to get an accurate idea of what's happening with the hormones after a head injury, how this is impacting stress hormones, how this is impacting your blood sugar, how this is impacting your ability to repair like your androgens, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, all these things. Is your cycle impacting the way, like if it's a female, where you are in your cycle can dictate your prognosis potentially in some cases. What peak of progesterone or estrogen or whatever it is that you're at that can completely change the way that you you heal up from your concussion so there's so many different pieces and basically again what i'm getting at is the more you look at the better chance that that patient has to fully recover now majority of cases typically do heal up but i like to look at head injuries a lot let's say like a sprained ankle so if you sprain your ankle and you don't do anything for it it's going to heal up and you're going to be able to use it and walk on it, but it's very unlikely that it's going to be at 100% again. Whereas if you would have gone and gotten it examined properly, gotten it imaged, you know, made sure how much damage has been done, 
gone through the correct treatment program for it, rehab, all of that, then you're much more likely to get a lot more function back and be closer to that 100% than you were before. Not to mention, you'll be a little bit better off the next time if you get exposed to something like that. So you won't be in such a weakened state. So this is where you kind of dive into like repetitive head injuries, accumulation over time can happen there as well. I think one thing that is kind of overlooked or maybe a lot of providers don't really know how to piece this all together, but I know you're you're one of the few people that do, which is why I like you so much. But the fact that when you have a concussion, if you are female and men, like we all have hormones, what your body is going through at that moment in time when it happens and how that can throw things off, I think is so important. But I even learned this watching my husband go through this whole process is you can have these things and the concussion part may start healing, but you may have had other metabolic or underlying health issues that are kind of brought to the surface. And I don't think a lot of providers are like equipped to get to the bottom of like, what was the health issue? Why are you not still healing? What can we do to look at that? So it really takes like a team of people, like if you want to actually get to the root cause of the problem. And if you don't, then that's fine. But if you do, there's just a lot to to think about and look at, like you said. Especially when you get to those cases, like you're talking about that kind of, they just continue to have persistent issues. And this is a really under-researched area still, like they don't have a full grasp of why. So, which is all the more reason why we continue to try to, and likewise, like you, we'll triage out and just do our best to figure and like make sure we're turning over every stone that we can and seeing if there's anything that's inhibiting somebody's ability to repair. Yeah, for sure. Because there's so many different things that can put us into like a catabolic state that keep us from being able to repair properly. So we got to make sure we move people towards that healing that they can do. I would love to know, like when someone does come to you for concussion treatment, what does a treatment protocol look like? I know every single person is different, but can you tell us a little bit about like the technology that you guys use or different therapies that you'll use with people just so everyone kind of understand what concussion rehab would look like potentially? We've got so many different options, but some foundational pillars that we typically use with most It's not uncommon for us to find issues with vision with patients. So complaining about blurriness of vision or maybe eye strain or whatever it might be, issues with tracking or like if there's a lot of movement in front of them, they can't, they get headaches from it, things like that. So we're often working on visual pathways or the visual networks to try to make it so that their eyes are tracking targets smooth. They're functioning the way they're supposed to in each given situation. Outside of that, there's also your vestibular system. So we do a lot of vestibular rehab. And this is with all of our stuff. Nothing is cookie cutter. So just for the record. So everything is put in with intent. And vestibular treatment that we do is no different. So it's very specific to what we end up finding in the testing. And vestibular system is like a motion sensor for your inner ear. It's basically how we get our equilibrium and help us with balance and control of our movements. So If that motion sensor is working properly, as well as it also helps us identify what position we're in. Is my head tilted? Am I laying back? You can close your eyes and know exactly what position you're in part because of that system. So we like making sure that that thing is communicating properly as well because patients can get a lot of dizziness 
or feel like they're off balance after they have a concussion. Some people will feel floaty or like they're on a boat. Some people actually end up feeling like they're spinning or tumbling. So all of those different things help us identify where things are happening, but also how what the treatment's supposed to look like. How do we actually address that to try to balance things out? Pun intended. Vision therapy, vestibular therapy, cognitive therapy is an important piece as well. When we hit the front of our head, that frontal lobe can take a, a ding and that's in charge of attention, focus, behavior con- regulation, mood, all that kind of stuff happens there and even working memory. So people will often complain of like short-term memory issues and all that kind of stuff. Memory recall or like a name recall. So we'll work on that as well if that's an, a piece that needs to be addressed. And cognitive rehab, there's a variety of different ways to approach it. We like using certain programs or software for that, where it's a lot of touchscreen work. Sometimes we're just doing it verbally with the patient so that they're working through certain equations and stuff. They call it cognitive layer in case anybody wants to look it up. And then there's balance therapy that ties into vision and and the vestibular, but we also work on proprioceptive feedback. So if people have a poor awareness of certain body parts, we try to help them remap that body part. So there's a lot of different ways we can do that. We can do that with vision. We can do that with sensation from the limb. We can do that. Some cool tricks that we have are not tricks, but therapy options. We'll use mirrors to help with that as well. Sometimes and we haven't touched on this, but you're familiar with it, we'll use electrical stim. So because the nerves run on electricity, if you feed them the right current, and it's very similar to the type of current our our system runs on, it can utilize that to activate the nerves and potentially create some neuroregenerative properties. So you can actually get some neuroregeneration with some of the nerves when you do that. And in tandem with that, you also push more blood to whatever area you activate. So every part of the brain does better with more fuel. Last piece, uh, there's a lot more, but laser is really a key piece of therapy that we utilize with a lot of patients. And that's because it can, well, it has so many properties. You're familiar with the mitochondria. Those are the powerhouse parts of the cell that produce energy. So if you feed them, there's actually a part in it. It's called coenzyme Cytochrome C, it's an enzyme in there that is photoreceptive. Two different wavelengths it feeds off of. One of them is the type of uh, laser that we use. So it'll feed off that wavelength and it'll turn over more energy as a result. And the cells do often a lot better when they have more energy. They can heal and recover a lot more quickly. In tandem with that, it's been shown to actually produce or upregulate brain-derived neurotrophic factor and nerve growth factor, which are essential for if you're trying to grow, make the nerves become more robust and efficient. Yeah, for sure. That was a great explanation of some of the things that you guys do. I know that there's more. Do you guys talk a lot about nutrition with your concussion patients? And like, do you recommend supplements? Do you guys kind of go through that component with them as well? Or is there even one after you have a concussion? So this is tricky too. We try to make sure that we're questioning or running through that stuff with a patient, checking their history to see if that they're having any changes following the concussion, again, with hormones or potential gut function, fatigue after meals, whatever it is that can be kind of cluing us into like there's been a metabolic change. There's a chemistry shift that's happened. Or 
if they already had a chemistry issue beforehand. Because again, it's not just uh, symptoms like anxiety and headaches and all that stuff that can get worse. Their chemical imbalances could have gotten worse as well from this because you actually use certain parts of your brain to help regulate your chemistry. So you can have the area that signals for hormones that takes a hit, and then you can end up not producing testosterone anymore properly. And you can just go completely androgenic, basically. So around andropause, I should say. We, we try to make sure that we evaluate that stuff best we can or question that. Sometimes we'll order blood work or we'll ask that the patient go get blood work done with their primary. Or if they're working with, let's say, a naturopath or nutritionist already and they've already been keeping track of stuff, then we'll have them run through updated testing to see where that's all at. And then the, the supplements are really dictated based off of what's, where the dysfunction is. Because we don't like chunking stuff at the wall hoping it's going to stick because in addition to that like there's a lot of stuff that's good for brain and a lot of patients will come in here especially if they've had persistent symptoms where they're taking dozens of different supplements that are all good for brain but their symptoms haven't changed at all and the research might show that it's good for brain but it doesn't mean that patient a or b is actually feeling any different from it so we try to be very careful about when we implement that stuff and we try to do it methodically yeah Okay. That's great to know. I feel like through some courses and seminars I've taken, I've heard people mention, and I'd love to know if you would agree with this or not, but they would say just like in general, they'll talk to their patients about, you know, while going through this healing process, it could be beneficial to cut out things like gluten, dairy, increase sugar, So I'm assuming that you would agree with that, but I just wanted to see if there was actually validity in that. And then also just trying to be more on the anti-inflammatory side and taking omegas or fish oil and things like that. Those are just some things that I've heard. So I was just curious if that's what you would recommend. My approach, which might not be correct, but I tend to go towards more of an anti-inflammatory diet with patients. I try to do it in the most methodical way I can because patients tend to be, especially ones that have had head injuries, they're already overwhelmed at following it. So their system's kind of in a fight or flight state and everything is kind of overstimulating for some of them. Not all of them, but some of them can get really overstimulated easily. So I try to implement stuff slowly or microdose people with things. So first I might start with sugar. Then like you're saying, maybe they go gluten-free and dairy-free and so on and so forth. And just build on it. That way we can actually also kind of see how what shifts happen as they do things. And then they're they have a better awareness of what's happening with their body and their brain as they implement these things, ideally. Yeah. I could see how if you aren't somebody who's already on like a more healthy eating journey and you have a head injury and then your doctor's like, Oh, by the way, you need to, you know, cut out all gluten from your life. You need to do this. I'm sure that is very, very overwhelming. But I think it's something that no one really talks about either is like how the nutrition side, especially at least my patients that I've talked to, medical professionals on the Western side, they're not really recommending anything as far as like the food or supplement. So just good, good thing to note. To keep on that before we transition, there's, so you're familiar with the the blood brain barrier, right? So just for listeners that maybe aren't, our system has different barriers in different parts of our body because they're meant to be well-regulated. There's not supposed to be certain, everything's not supposed to be able to go in and out of these easily. So like our gut, 
as a barrier. So most people are more familiar with the gut barrier. So they've heard of like leaky gut. That's kind of like the hot thing going around. But when we eat food, it's supposed to go down, get digested, absorbed. And our body is supposed to regulate what gets absorbed and goes into our bloodstream so that we can use it for ourselves. Sometimes certain things can cause the gut barrier to open up. And one of those things that can actually do that is when you hit your head. On a consistent basis in the literature, they show that when somebody has a concussion, there's going to be the gut barrier opening up. And they also note, which makes a lot more sense, that the brain, which has a barrier as well that sits around it, also opens up. And these guys have an intercommunication between each other. So one opens up, they, they all do typically. So with that, when your gut barriers opened up and certain things are getting in and out of the barrier that aren't supposed to, it can be flagged as dangerous or and cause inflammation in your body. So it can lead to systemic inflammation throughout the body. And inflammation is kind of like a fire that can irritate certain tissues and cells. And it's there's a time and place for it. But in these instances, it tends to be too much. And that stuff can make its way up to the brain. And if the barriers open there, then it could potentially be irritating the brain as well, which has its own immune system that's meant to be just inside that. It's a well-regulated system on its own. And when stuff from the outside interacts with it, that's not good. So if you've got some, some stuff, inflammatory chemicals making their way through, irritating it, it can make the brain really irritated and make it, again, heal up really slowly. So can you tell us in your practice, what is the fastest you've seen someone heal from a concussion? Or what is like the longest amount of time that you've seen someone take to heal from something like this? Ooh, it's a big range. So what I've seen people heal like the quickest doesn't necessarily add up to like how fast they're actually healing. Okay. So I've seen somebody's symptoms normalize within a couple of days, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their brain's actually healed up. So they might be functioning, acting, and, and look normal. And even testing might look completely normal on our part, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the injury's actually healed up. They suspect that the brain takes about three weeks at its the earliest. Like three to four weeks is like the earliest it can heal up. So no matter what, anybody that has a fresh head injury my recommendation is always plan for three to four weeks, or I usually just say a month. Just plan for a month. We're going to dial some things back. We're not going to like completely like lock you up in a, in a dark room and, and whatnot like they used to, but we're going to decrease the exposure a bit and just make sure that things, you don't have another head injury, you know? Yeah. In terms of the longest, that's kind of unlimited. Honestly, I've seen somebody 20 years out that is still suffering from they're not even like a moderate or severe brain injury. We're talking about a mild one or what they, they call mild, which was, you know, categorized as a concussion. So something that you didn't even see, like imaging didn't even show anything, but they still have persistent symptoms 20 years out. Oh, wow. That's actually kind of brings me to my next topic that I wanted to talk about because I've noticed probably similarly to you people come in and they're like, oh, you know, they're experiencing anxiety, depression, different, you know, neurological symptoms, but they had concussions when they were in high school 
when they played sports or this is 10, 20 years ago. Well, they're not thinking that these symptoms are related to concussion, but I think there's definitely a chance if you've had a concussion, it went untreated. Can you talk to us a little bit about post-concussion? And well, you mentioned even 20 years later, you could be having symptoms. How does someone know if they might be experiencing post-concussion syndrome from years later? There's not like a gold standard way to do this right now. Like there's not like a specific way to measure it or anything like that. That's like, yeah, for sure. But it's a combination of what a patient's telling you in their history. And it's more so like you do kind of have to lean on a good practitioner to guide you through if you're confused about this, whether or not it's likely that that's what happened. So combining the history with the testing and any diagnostics that can clue you into whether or not post-concussive syndrome is something that you're dealing with. Yeah, it all increases the likelihood. And if there's nothing else in the history that's glaring that, you know, makes sense, then you just isolate the variables best you can. And then that's how you kind of come up with the diagnosis. Yeah. And for anyone listening, can you tell us a little bit about, because I feel like some people get a concussion and they hardly have any symptoms at all. And then other people, there is 20, 30 things that they're experiencing. Can you just tell us some of the most I guess, common symptoms that people do experience after they have a concussion, whether it's right after or even months down the road? Well, the like what people experience in the like early stages versus somebody that's got like persistent stuff, they often overlap quite a bit. So most common thing is probably head pain. So like a headache, possibly a migraine that can manifest in a variety of different ways. It could be behind the eyes, it can be in the temples, it can be in the back of the head, whatever it might be. And another thing that can be common is, again, memory changes. So people feel they're getting a little brain fog and they're having issues or like they're not as quick as they used to be and they're not recalling things like they normally do. Things are just a little clouded in the head. There's also dizziness. That's a pretty common one where people will be sensitive to movement, but also sensitive to visual stimuli, things that are moving in the background and whatnot. They don't even have to be moving themselves, but things will be moving around and they'll feel worse from it. It'll be provocative. Lightheadedness, that can be a common one. We're not getting enough blood flow up. There's certain systems that help us regulate that and they're not working the way they're supposed to. So people can get lightheaded. I'm sure I'm missing some, but I'd say that those are some of the more common ones. When you were talking about the blood-brain barrier, which was great, by the way, just kind of showing the connection of the gut and the brain, I think a lot of people notice or They may not connect it, but with you kind of talking about that, it makes sense why a lot of people do sort of have digestive issues come up after these kind of things happen. And they're kind of like, well, I never had acid reflux or constipation or what, like I never had this before. And then after they have an injury. So touching on that a little more. So I had a patient that got into a car accident, concussion. They developed a lemon allergy after this. So like a citrus allergy. The best theory we could come up with is this exact one. The gut barrier opened up and underlying that before you get to the blood is the immune system. And the immune system can flag proteins that are not supposed to be there. If they're too large and they're not looking like, oh, this is the normal stuff we absorb and and process, then it could flag it and say, this is dangerous. So I'm going to immune response every time you take this in my system now. But in tandem with that, when they did They've done more research in this area when they they couldn't do this on humans. Of course, they're doing this in a murine model, so like mice and whatnot. When they would give the concussion, 
like they had a two different batteries that were or two two different groups that were tested, and one got vagus nerve treatment and the other didn't before or after the concussion. And the ones that didn't get any, their blood brain barrier stayed open and their their gut stayed open. I think for the month that it was healing. For those that got the vagus nerve stimulation or the vagus nerve vagus nerve stimulation is what they got. When they got that, the gut barrier and the blood brain barrier would seal up quicker, much 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 quicker. And there was a potential if they did it before they had the head injury that they wouldn't even have leaky gut or the barrier system wouldn't even open up. That was pretty profound. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's wild about the citrus allergy. I've never heard that before. What? <laughs> yeah, like what? That's really interesting. But hopefully people listening to this, because I'm sure a lot of people do go through things like this and they have no idea why this happens. So sometimes it's nice to actually hear an explanation of why the body's doing what it's doing. Yeah, especially if you had gut dysfunction beforehand. If you go and you have a head injury, it's like almost every time I'll hear that their gut dysfunction got worse. Yeah. For sure. Whatever they were dealing with got worse. Okay. In wrapping up some of this, for anyone listening, let's say you just had a concussion. Could you maybe just walk through some steps? Okay, you get a concussion. What would you do? Would you still go see your primary medical doctor? Like, what are you going to seek out? Can you just give us the steps on if you want to fully heal from a concussion? What would those steps look like? Even if I'm not necessarily a fan of the conventional response from majority, I'd still recommend seeing your medical provider. Like go seek medical attention right away and make sure that they've ruled out anything big. And then in some scenarios, they'll walk you down the right route. Like you'll actually get proper care like you need. You'll get triage properly. You'll see the right people. But if you really want to be on top of it, go see your medical provider and then go see like you have to go see somebody else that's going to evaluate your nervous system as well. That's potentially going to run more thorough testing if thorough testing doesn't get done. So you want a full neurological exam. You want to get your neck checked out. You want to go see what your your metabolic system is doing, like your chemistry. So go see a chiropractor, get your neck checked out, specifically upper cervical. I think that is the best way to get your neck looked at the most in, in depth. I love when I'm referring patients to you and I'm like, yeah, have you ever had someone assess all your cranial nerves and see exactly how your brain is functioning? Probably not. So this is an amazing thing to look into because not too many people, especially in your specialty, have I ever seen anybody go that in-depth of checking neurology to get people better for the long run, not just to get your symptoms to go down. So so important that people understand that this is a treatment option that you have. Yeah, they're far and few, but they exist. And they're not just in the chiropractic profession. So you can see somebody like like us that does chiropractic neurology as well that's going to do that evaluation. But some PTs are phenomenal. Some OTs do a really great job. You're going to find some even personal trainers do a better job testing than the medical doctors do, which is bananas. But just make sure that you're being still medically managed properly so that that stuff gets looked at. And then go see these other providers that can help you, you know, fill in the gaps if it's not being addressed with your your MD. Yeah, I love that. Okay, Dr. Cameron, can you tell our listeners where can people find you? Where can they connect with you if they want to follow your work further? So we're in San Diego, Serrano Valley next to Qualcomm. You can follow us on Instagram. We're, we're on all the social platforms, Instagram, Facebook. We have a YouTube channel if you want to get more tips from there. And our website's sdchironeuro.com. Awesome. You guys are doing a great job with your Instagram, by the way. You guys put a lot of valuable 
content out there. So I recommend if you're listening to follow Dr. Cameron on there. But it was so great having you. Is there anything else that you want to leave with everyone when it comes to concussions? Anything else you wanted to bring up? Just what I would say is even if it's considered something mild or, you know, you feel like you hit your head and you're going to heal, I would recommend just just make sure you go get evaluated. That's like the biggest thing. Like you don't want to have regrets that you didn't go get this thing checked out right off the bat, that you weren't prophylactic about it. And that way you don't have to deal with persistent issues later on. Like these things compound on themselves and you never know which one's going to be the one that changes your life potentially. So yeah, for sure. I love that. Thank you again so much for being here and giving us so much value today. And hopefully anyone going through a concussion, will this will reach them and it will help them in some way. So thank you again so much for your time. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again on here soon. Thanks for having me. I love the work that you're doing. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this information was valuable and that you share it with a friend or family member who is struggling to find answers to their health issues and they want help moving forward with their healing journey. If you want to keep the conversation going, follow me on Instagram at drmercedescook. To request a consultation to work together, head to uppercervicalsd.com. I appreciate you tuning in and I look forward to seeing you here next week to dive into the next topic together.